I think there's got to be a radical shift in, in the way we look at mental health management and treatment, and it's got to go beyond what's been going on. That's kind of where my idea for mental started coming, where it's like, it's not just like mental health over here and like everything else over here, like lifestyle or fashion or this or that. It's like, they're together. They're like all part of you. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins, a mental health podcast focused on the importance of finding things in life that bring you joy and happiness. I'm your host, Stella Stephanopoulos, and if you've been tuning into the podcast over the past few weeks, you might have noticed that I've been interviewing a lot of writers, journalists, and editors in the health and wellness space. And this week, I am so excited to share my conversation with Amy Keller-Laird, who is the former editor-in-chief of Women's Health Magazine, and she had also served as the beauty director at Allure for quite some time. Amy is also the founder of Mental, which is a lifestyle platform and content destination focused on mental health awareness and well-being. In this episode, Amy talks about her own mental health struggles with OCD, her perspective on how mental health has been portrayed by the media as a health and wellness journalist and editor. We also talk about the origin story behind Mental, really what inspired her to create a company and community focused on talking about these issues in particular. And something really cool that Amy dives into later is how she started the first ever Mental Health Awards. So we get into what the purpose of that is and what you can find being featured there. Lastly, Amy shares a little bit about what brings her a bit of endorphins every day. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode, but before we get into it, reminder to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for coming on to Everyday Endorphins. Thanks for having me. I'm always so excited to get to speak with people who have built something in the health and wellness space um, because I think right now, more than ever, it's really such like a booming time with all these different health and wellness companies, organizations, um, communities popping up. So I'm just really thrilled to get to sit down with you and chat about everything that you've built with mental and also your experience in the health and wellness space. Yeah, no, thank you. It's it's definitely an interesting time. There's a lot out there, but there's also a lot of who has you know, you know, all the all the scary stats coming out of COVID of, you know, spikes in depression and anxiety and loneliness and all of this stuff. So I think it's definitely good that at least we're focusing on mental health now a little bit more than we were in the past as a you know, collective we. I think COVID, like to your point, really did accelerate this conversation on mental health. You know, I know your entire career has been in the health and wellness space as a journalist. You were formerly the editor-in-chief at Women's Health Magazine. So if we start there, can you talk a little bit about the experience of working in the health and wellness space as a journalist and perhaps how content around mental health 
has evolved and shifted over the course of your career. Yeah, absolutely. So I was the editor-in-chief of Women's Health from 2014 to 2018. And I mean, during that time, like almost no one was talking about mental health from a mainstream media perspective. That's not to negate all of the... Um, other places that were talking about it or people talking about it individually on social media, et cetera. But it was, or if pe if people were talking about it, it was sort of stories that would cite a bunch of statistics. It wouldn't really put like a face to the situation. It was always sort of other, you know, like, oh, this is happening to those people and that kind of thing. I, so I have OCD. I've always been pretty open about it, but never really publicly just because Again, like people weren't really talking about it publicly. It's not something I was trying to hide, but it was also something that was just sort of like, oh, well, who who talks about this? So um, in 2016, when we were seeing all of these stats around the rise of anxiety and depression and all of these things, and particularly things affecting women, we were figuring out how can we do this at Women's Health? Like, how can we do a story that's more than just statistics that kind of go in one ear and you hear them and you go, oh God, that's terrible, right? And then they like go out. So I was like, well, dude, let's put me in the story. I should be in the story. Like I can be talking about having OCD, but also being the leader of a global health brand. Like maybe there's something about doing that. And so what we ended up doing was finding uh, 13 other women as well with diagnoses, photographing everyone, starting with a big spread that was like, which of these women has a mental illness and then flipping and being like, all of them, including me, I'm the editor of Women's Health. Um, I have OCD. Here's the deal, blah, blah, blah. And then going through and, you know, featuring the stories of each of these individual women who all had different situations in life. And, um, you know, there was a doctor, there were photographers, there were bloggers, there were, um, stay-at-home moms, I, you know, all, all variety of, of, of lifestyle. And it was really, it kind of went viral. Uh, you know, the media covered it. It was like editor-in-chief of Women's Health says she has OCD. And I mean, but in a positive way, um, I was on the Today Show talking to Willie Geist about it. Um, you know, it was, it was, um, it was kind of a, a really interesting thing to watch people react and also just both publicly, like people being like, thank you so much for doing this, you know, like, oh my God, I have this or that, or, and also just like randomly people reaching out to me saying like, oh, I have X or my child has this and is struggling with this and I really appreciate it, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I remember we put mental health on the cover <laughs> as a cover line. And that was like a big thing, you know, like in 2016, like people just didn't do that. So we have really come a long way from a mainstream media perspective. I think one of the big ways, you know, we were partnered with NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness and doing a big survey around this. And, you know, one of the big things around mental health stigma is people do think it's an other person's situation um, where they're like, or they have old school, you know, perceptions of what that means, right? Like, uh, you know, you like, we've got one flew over the cuckoo's nest is like the classic kind of movie, you know, it's like all that stuff. And there's been actually a lot of uh, pop culture and TV shows that have really actually shown mental health in, in, in the real way it is. And also that like, it's not the only thing about you. You know, you're not just that. It's also like, okay, I, I do have OCD. It does impact me in many ways, but I'm also, I have a family. Uh, I have a career. I love beauty products. I'm a former beauty editor, right? Like what, whatever, you know? And so A, that that's kind of where my idea for mental started coming, where it's like, it's not just like mental health over here and like 
everything else over here, like lifestyle or fashion or this or that. It's like they're together. They're like all part of you. I I love all the points that you made, especially around how mental health is not this like other category. Really, how health and our mental health and our mental well being permeates in every single aspect of our lives. And I love how you've been so open about your struggles with OCD and having that really is like a covered like feature and an, and an article because I think that having that kind of representation gives permission for people to open up this dialogue, this two-way communication about their own experiences. And I think also OCD in particular is really interesting because we have a lot of coverage and I think there's a lot of widespread knowledge about struggles with anxiety and depression, but I don't think OCD is actually spoken about as much. Um, And one of my friends from college, a good friend of mine, actually struggled with OCD. And at first, I didn't really understand. I was living with her at the time, and I didn't really like recognize that the behaviors that she was exhibiting were actually characteristic of someone who had OCD and how it also can show up in many different ways. And so I think there's still this barrier that needs to be like moved through around just having more awareness around OCD. I don't know if that's something that you've experienced or um, if that's something that, you know, you're, you're starting to notice as well, just like the differences or discrepancies in like the, the cultural awareness around issues like anxiety and depression versus a mental illness like OCD. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I think in, in some ways, <clears throat> OCD has been the socially acceptable mental health illness because people think it's like, oh, that quirky OCD person, right? Oh, oh she's counting. Oh, ha ha ha. Like she wants me to wash my hands, you know? And so it kind of gets framed as this quirky is the word I would use because people are like, just, oh, that's so, you know, quirky or, you know, even people's family members or friends will like make fun of you. I mean, literally one time at New Year's Eve, and this is like a two decades, I mean, not two decades, but like 15 years ago, like I'm at a New Year's Eve party with friends who know I have OCD. And like one of them, like, was handing me a beer and was like, licked the bottle of the beer and then went like this. And I was like, like, I have contamination OCD, like oh, that I, I don't, I will not drink your drink. Like, and it's not cause like, I'm just weird or like, it's quirky. Like I, that will set off my whole thing. And so, I mean, A, it ruined my New Year's Eve, but B, it's like, dude, come on. Like, really? Like if, like, if there was someone here with diabetes, would you be making jokes about insulin? I, I like, I constantly try to like frame it that way when people don't get it. It's sort of like, I have this thing and not to harp on diabetes, my God, but like, it's like when people are like, just calm down, like stop worrying about it. It's like, would you tell someone with diabetes to just stop making, like start producing insulin? You know, it's like, you cannot. <laughs> so, and I mean, of course you can get treatment and I've had therapy. I take medication. I do all kinds of things. Right. And I have, a, a manageable form, right? I can get through life. But I think the other thing about OCD is people think of it in the ways it has been shown in the media, like Monk or whatever, you know, that show. And it's like, it's it's often around hand washing. It's Or it's like, I'm so neat. I'm persnickety. I mean, I always think of that guy from, and you're maybe too young for this, but there's that classic Julia Roberts movie, Sleeping with the Enemy. And he organizes all his soup cans. And like, she knows he's stalking her back in the house because like, all the towels are like even and it's like Ta-da! and anyway I always think about that because that's what people think OCD is like oh yeah you're going in and you like I am the messiest person in the world when I was the beauty director of Allure we have this picture of me like inundated by like caves of beauty products and like press releases and like 
I'm so messy, but like, I'm terrified of germs. So it, it's like, it's like, there's a, dis, a non-understanding where like people know about like the checking version of OCD, right? Where you're like, I have to recheck the stove. I have to like do the light switch five times. Or I, I'm like worried that I left the flat iron on or whatever. But then there's like the other forms of OCD, which are like intrusive thoughts, which are like, the, nobody wants to talk about those, you know, <laughs> like where like really weird things pop to your mind and you're like, oh my God, am I an evil person? Cause I just thought this thing. And it's those, that's like where OCD can become dis, you know, disabling. I mean, it can in many ways, but, and so, you know, there's an account I follow around OCD and they're regularly talking about that, about how like, oh, everybody's all about OCD, um, you know, awareness, whatever, until we start talking about these scary intrusive thoughts that come through that are about like, you know, people can have thoughts of, of violence and this and that and things they would never do in their own life. And that like the thought that it popped in is like completely traumatizing to them. That's part of OCD. And so I do think to your point, like that doesn't get explored a lot. And um, yeah, I think anxiety is probably like, people feel more comfortable discussing like having anxiety and to a certain extent depression. Um, I think people will discuss it and say like, Oh, I'm depressed or this and that happened. But then when it comes down to like, I haven't showered for three weeks, like I'll have people tell me that behind the scenes, but like they're never saying it in the front or it, people who take, you know, some people who have anxiety or depression take what's known as an antipsychotic, but because, which is a drug, right? They don't have psychosis, but because of the stigma around even that word, they don't want to say, you know, I had a writer writing a piece and she was like, oh, I'm, I don't want to say I take an antipsychotic. I'll just say it's an SSRI, you know? And like, that's fine. Like nobody should disclose what they don't want to disclose. But I think that just shows that even though we've come a long way, there's like a long way to go where like, then someone's like, oh, you're, you have psychosis. And it's like, there's just so many, you know, so many misconceptions and people just, I think one of the most frustrating things is when people think they know <laughs> what they're talking about. They're not aware what that even means. And yet they go around spewing, of course, misinformation, which is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I also want to go back to a something that you mentioned a bit earlier where you were drawing this analogy between, you know, your your experience at the New Year's Eve party and someone handing you like this contaminated drink and then con comparing this to like someone who suffers with diabetes and is like, oh, just like go produce more insulin, right? Um, I think there's this, this misunderstanding or perhaps like I think a lot of people kind of don't approach mental illness and struggles with mental health in a very compassionate way. So if someone is not struggling with something, they're just like, oh, well, you know, do these things and just, you know, you'll you'll feel better immediately. Like, I think there's still this kind of I, skewed coverage in a sense of uh, the things that you can do to lead a healthier life. Like, I think people just want to, like, be very prescriptive and say, okay, well, if you get enough sleep and you drink enough water and you eat a balanced diet, you should feel better automatically. And it's like, yeah, to a certain extent, that's super important. Like, you need that at least like fundamental foundational things to better your health. But that's not going to cut it for everyone, especially if you're really depressed and it's like you can, you know, it's it's that difficult for you to just get out of bed in the morning. So, you know, and I think also this kind of ties into maybe some of the uh, like the North Star, or the guiding principles or like the, the ethos really behind mental, like making these conversations about mental health more accessible and, and 
coming at it with a really compassionate perspective. So can you talk a little bit about um, the inspiration behind mental and firstly, starting out with, you know, the name? I, I love kind of the meaning behind the name and why you, you ended up choosing it. Yeah, I mean, I mental, the word mental has always been used as a pejorative term and as a like, oh, she's so mental. You know, it's like, okay, I am. You know, I, I like, fine. I, I feel like the way to take the steam out of that is just be like, you're right. I'm also physical. Like what? I, I don't know. I have a brain and a body. Um, So it's kind of like mm, just taking that word back, like nothing wrong with it. And also like, yeah, like, you know, I, it's, it's funny to me. Like I like made some video on TikTok and someone was like, you clearly have a mental illness. Literally, they were saying that not related to OCD or something. It was like me describing something. And I was like, I do. I do. You're right. and. So I think like to me, the next step in like normalizing the conversation and it is actually making it really normal, right? <laughs> like actually just being like, you're right. A mental, like what? Okay. Like that's not an insult when we can get to that point where people can like stop using it as an insult. Um, I think we'll be in a much better place. And I think, yeah, also something about, it's like, Oh, just deep breathe. I mean, I, dude, like, Yes, deep breathing works. And like, if I'm like in a just general anxious state and I do actually do like some deep breath, of course it helps. Like there's a million studies showing this, but like if you're depressed laying in your bed, you like deep breathing is not like curing your problems, okay? Like you need therapy, you probably need medication, you need community, you need all of these things, et cetera. And so, yeah, I think I, I think those, the platitudes, those platitudes of wellness, like just think happy thoughts. It's sort of like that actually makes people feel worse. Like studies have proven this. Like I, I wrote a story a long time ago, um, actually for self magazine called like wellness Instagram's bringing me down because it was literally like scroll after scroll of all these like toxic positivity posts that people were putting up or just, you know, like if you think it, you can do it's like, actually where I have problems are in my thoughts, <laughs> like telling me to do that. Or you know what? Telling someone with anxious ruminating thoughts to go meditate, maybe not the best idea. Like their thoughts are the problem. They need to distract or they need to do X, Y, Z. So I think we're a little bit beyond that. Like I think people have come to start realizing, and there's been a lot of written and talked about around po toxic positivity. There's also toxic gratitude, which I think people are starting to realize now that like, of course, gratitude is important. And like, it is proven to like help your mental health to be grateful. But it is also proven that when you are shamed into feeling grateful about every single thing you do in life, or like a horrible thing happens, and instead you should feel grateful because you still have XYZ. It's like, that shuts down the normal emotional process of being able to grieve or have sadness or feel grateful, but also crappy, you know? Yeah, I really love, you know, first of all, I actually had never heard of the term like toxic gratitude or toxic gratitude practices, but it makes sense, especially with what you're just talking about around like if something bad happens to you and you like need to kind of like feel that experience, that emotion, but someone's like, well, just think about like all the things you should be grateful for and all the things that are great. Like maybe the intention as well, like refocusing your perspective, putting things into perspective, like recognizing that there are things in life that are good and that you can feel gratitude for, but that shouldn't detract from that lived experience of moving through whatever pain or sorrow or discomfort that you're feeling. 
Yeah. And particularly in the moment, right? It's like, give me a minute to experience the negative feelings. It's okay. And then then like, once I can get out of that, then maybe I can have some perspective. But at the same time, why do we have to invalidate things that happen by saying, but you've also, you have that over there. It's like, that's true. But like, this also exists. Right. And I, that's, you know, really interesting you mentioned that because something I've been thinking a lot about recently is kind of like the, um, the tension between like two truths that can exist at the same time. Like you can feel upset and stressed and angry or whatever emotion you want to prescribe to that feeling. And that can be true while at the same time, you can still have this good and great thing in your life. And one shouldn't necessarily negate the other. Yeah. I mean, I actually recently did a post that was like, you can feel gratitude. And it was like, (laughs) it was like, there's an either or, um, there's an either or thing that we have going on in life where we think, right, like you just said, it's it's one or the other. And often it's happy and sad together. You know, it's like you're happy about X, you're sad about this, the, or you're happy and sad about the same thing for various reasons. And that's like normal human emotion. I think Inside Out, that Disney movie, like perfectly explains it. Um, like such an incredible movie, really, I, I think about just the way in which we deal with our emotions, we process, we move through the world. Um, but when we think about uh, what, you know, what we're talking about, like this juxtaposition between this good emotion and then this emotion that doesn't feel so great at the same time, how do you try to walk that tightrope or give yourself the compassion and, and gratitude and, or the compassion and grace for being able to like recognize those two truths at once and like letting that help with your healing and move forward? For me, I'm just like a walking emotion. I so it like it comes out, it does its thing. I, I happen to like like things will affect me really quickly, and then I'll be like, eh, everything sucks and this and that. And then like 20, 30 minutes later, I'm like back. I'll be like, okay, now I'm doing this. That's like my personal situation. I mean, that's how I am personally. I just think everybody is different, and people look at. And I think we're now understanding healing's not linear, right? It's not like these stages of grief that we've seen or whatever. It's not like you go like, I checked off A, now I'm to B, now I'm to C. It's like they mesh, they go back, they they come in waves. Things happen like that's just what happens. And I think the more you know that that's a normal process, the more you can feel self-compassion and allow yourself to feel as it happens. It sucks, right? You want to be like, but I already felt sad for three months. Like I'm done. I want to move on. It, uh, sadly, sometimes that's not true. Um, and I think also allowing yourself to feel happy when you feel happy, even if something bad has happened, right? Versus like feeling guilty that you could also be happy um, is important to understand that like you're not a bad person just because you can also feel joy or whatever it is, excitement about another thing in your life that's going well. So I think it's more just like realizing, like once you realize that it's okay and it's actually completely normal and that like this is how everyone deals with things, even if they're just not outwardly showing it, then you can be like, oh, okay, I'm I'm okay. I am, you know? Yeah, it's a great point. I think um, it really takes like that moment of realization and also recognizing that it's it's a universal experience like it's everyone feels this way and everyone is kind of constantly moving through these periods of good or not so great in their life and having some sense of compassion for that. I want to go back a little bit to um 
the creation of mental. So we talked a little bit about the name, but can you talk a little bit more about the significance behind the banana symbol? Because I know that is really integral to the brand, the community. And I also think that's such a clever um, symbol to bring into what you're building. Yeah, no, I mean, right. So our tagline is because life is bananas, you know, and it sort of started when, when we first did the first women's health story and we were talking about the word crazy and you know how everyone refers to people as crazy. And it's really hard to not use that word. I mean, even though I like, we did an entire piece about it and I've been like immersed in this space forever. Like I say the word so often and I've come to the place where I'm like, we don't need to be the world word police here. Right? Like if I want to call a situation crazy, I, 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 I'm like going to give myself some grace that like, that's just okay. But like, I try not to refer to a human being that way because what is crazy? Like, I, I don't even know what it means anymore. You know what I mean? Like, no. So in an attempt to be like, what, how else could we talk about that? A situation or a whatever, how else could we, you know, frame a situation that's really wild or tough or, you know, it's like trying to find adjectives here. And I was speaking at a event, um, uh, and I was talking about having OCD and another speaker came up and he was a like, I think college student. And afterwards we started talking and he said, I, when I'm feeling things are like out of control, I am like, wow, that's bananas. And I was like, Oh, so interesting. And then like years later, I started thinking like, you know, the banana <laughs> is really an interesting fruit. Uh, not to be super weird and making strange metaphors here, but like the banana is yellow. It's very happy, right? You look at a banana, you're like, that's a happy color. Like color theory will tell me that. Um, but it also goes bad real fast. It gets splotches. It It's, you know, whatever. It doesn't look so pretty. Um, but then you're like, but in that state, that's when you make the best banana bread. And so like, it's a little dorky, but it's sort of like the banana is almost like a metaphor for the human, right? You can be both of those things, or you can be in a state like this, and then you're in a state like this. And in both states, you're worthy and you're creating something. You are who you are, and you can still create something worthy and wonderful. And so I think it just has dual meaning in, in, in kind of summing up the fact that like life is bananas. I mean, it just is like things happen every day. Look at the world situation right now, my Lord. And, you know, then like, okay, I'm a banana. I just am a banana. <laughs> I love that. Cause also bananas are my favorite fruit. So <laughs> I think it's the perfect um, symbol to have really integral to mental. I also think it really speaks to this point around how life just is bananas. Like you cannot control what's going to happen around you. Uh, no matter like where you fall, I guess, along this, yeah. if you want to call it like a mental health spectrum, like if you're chronically suffering with a condition or an illness and you need to seek out multiple forms of treatment or you're, you have a more mild case of, you know, bouts of anxiety or stress and generally like doing okay, no matter where you fall along that spectrum, and no matter how your brain is wired or, you know, your predisposition to certain mental health illnesses or conditions, you cannot control what's going to happen outside of you. So I think that's why it's so important that people continuously build on their skills and their, like, internal toolkits to have, the you know, to be equipped with dealing with things when life gets challenging because uh, you can't predict when that happens. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then I other think the, the other thing about the banana is 
you just don't normally come to a mental health site and see a dripping banana. Like, so the goal is for you to be like, oh, it, oh, there's a dripping banana here. Oh, we're talking about mental health in a different way here. And that is the purpose of mental to be like, it doesn't need to be super somber every time we mention the word mental health. Well, but it, you know, it, it's like, it can have, uh, you know, that's not to negate the seriousness of a mental health condition, but human beings, you know, still can have mental health conditions and be talking in a very normal way. And they cuss and they laugh and they think things are funny and they do X, Y, Z, and they might want to see photographs that aren't black and white, like dripping in the rain. But because when, you know, it's like when you look up, if you get in like a stock photography site and you type in depression, I mean, I've done TikToks and videos of this. It's like, oh my God, like now I feel way worse. Like it's literally always like a person in a fetal position, a person like uh, the rain coming down the hand. Oh, and you're like that, not that that's not true, right? Like sometimes you're in the fetal position, but like, what is this hand on the window in the rain? I like, who does that? Like, where is like, just like the person sitting on their couch, like, or the person at work or like the person with their kids, you know, like that doesn't come up. And so I think that's, again, part of like, we have to show people in just the wide spectrum of how they look and how they look in normal life. And like, can we have some like color here? Because yes, your mood might be gray, but you have a full life and I don't, I don't find it helpful or inspiring to just see like all these like sad photos. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone's not going to agree with me, but like that is, that is my perspective. And that's where I bring, I think, mental health and lifestyle together. You know, my, my background before I became a health journalist was as a beauty editor for a decade. And so I am also attuned to that and like fashion photography and this and that. And right. And by that, I don't mean like, you know, supermodels. I just mean like more artistic photography or things that are more, um, you know, it's, we don't have to be so literal with the, with the photograph. Like it doesn't have to be like, you're in a doctor's office. It's like, we know what it looks like to be in a doctor's office. Like, can I just look at a page that doesn't make me want to cry? So, you know, that's, that's how I think of, you know, photography and tone of voice and like, let's talk, let's, let's just be frank here. Yeah. I mean, I think it also speaks to this reality that, you know, not everything is what meets the eye. Like that's not exactly what you see on the outside is not very indicative usually of what someone might be feeling on the inside, um, which is a very powerful thing to think about because I think it, it makes you just question like <laughs> really like how how is someone feeling at a, at a given moment? And, you know, I go back and forth with my thoughts on the question like how are you? Because obviously most, you know, if you someone asks you that question, you're going to say, I'm fine, or like, I'm okay, or, you know, things are fine, you know, how are you? But it doesn't really kind of capture the full essence of how is a person doing. And I don't think it like, I think some people are trying to like, rephrase that question to like, have a more open ended discussion every time someone asks you like, how are you doing? But I don't think that like render like, I think there's a time and a place to kind of open up that dialogue. Like, of course, if you're closer with a person, you're going to be more willing to express how you're really feeling versus like meeting someone for the first time. If you ask like this deep question, you're 
most likely not going to get, you know, a very deep response. But um, I think it goes to show really just that the way people do portray themselves on the outside isn't always reflective of how they feel internally. So again, like pushing the conversation, the narrative around just opening up that dialogue is is so important. And I know that you recently launched the first mental health awards ever, which is so cool. Can you talk a little bit more about the mental health awards, really like the inspiration behind this and how it all kind of came to fruition? Yeah. I mean, I was, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, one, one of the things we have on the site is a section called goodbyes, which are lifestyle, beauty, home, whatever products that people who have particular mental health conditions have said, help them get throughout their day. They are not a replacement for therapy. They are not a a cure. They are not a fix, fix the situation, but it's like people, you know, it started with me thinking I, you know, anytime I'm traveling, I don't like my shoes to touch my clothes and my luggage. So like, I have to have a shoe bag. What's a cool shoe bag, right? What's the coolest shoe bag? One of our contributing editors has trichotillomania, which is the uh, a disorder where you pull out your hair. It's anxiety related, it's OCD related, actually. And she's always been wearing turbans. And I was like, and she was like, why do you think I wear these turbans all the time? Because I like have picked out my hair there. And I'm like, oh, I thought you're just super chic, you know, like cool. And so it's like, oh, and then a woman I know who has bipolar told me she buys the same Everlane turtleneck in eight colors because it can just hang in the closet and can make her life easier when she wakes up. Again, it's not like curing anything, but it's like, wait, hang on. Just like deep breathing, just like, you know, drinking a cold beverage when you're freaking out. Everyday products can be management tools for mental health. That's what I started thinking about. And so I was like, but what I don't want to do is just offer up a bunch of like skin creams and candles and blah, blahs and more lavender candles. You know, we all know lavender, you know, it's actually proven to help. Um, but you would need an essential oil candle. That's basically all lavender to really get the effect. You wouldn't just get a perfume that has like a note of lavender in it and be like, I'm calm. You know, I think that's been the way it's been reported before. Or when people do roundups of mental health products, we get a lot of gratitude sweatshirts and things like that. And there's like so much cool mental health merch. I don't want to discount that. Like, you know what I mean? There's like trauma bonded bestie necklaces. Like I want that, you know, like there are things that are like, you know, there's so much cool stuff, tote bags with sayings, you know, that, but that's not what I, that's not what these are. Right. So to me, I wanted to create an entire awards for the products that are going to really be able to serve as management tools, everyday management tools for mental health. So we interviewed 17 experts, including people, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, dentists, um, makeup artists, hairstylists, et cetera. And then we broke it down into the categories of things that if you have a mental health condition or, you know, just general stress or anxiety or whatever it is that that's the like through that lens, right? So the categories are like, don't tell me to calm down, but I probably should, right? So things that have been proven by studies to actually have an effect on your cortisol levels. Um, there's a section called quick clean, which is literally based on the concept of what we were talking about earlier. If you are too depressed to get in the shower or to brush your teeth. What, this is the mouthwash ingredient. Not that we want to be using this forever, right? We'll get gum disease. But like, 
if you are in a thing, this mouthwash has this ingredient in it that is going to keep the most bacteria away and it's going to keep your gums as healthy as possible. Or, you know, these are the best wipes as vetted by like a top dermatologist and you can use this on your body and it's going to be safe and things like that. And another category that I thought was really interesting, I've never seen anyone cover it this way, were sort of like side effects of mental health medication. It causes a lot of mental health medications across the spectrum cause a lot of similar things, whether it be dry mouth, dry skin, um, issues with, you know, orgasm or desire, um, things like that. And so it's like, okay, well, like, what's the best, you know, vibrating tool that's really going to actually work? Like talk to an OBGYN. What are the products that really actually can help with dry eye, right? There's this heat up mask that ophthalmologists regularly recommend to people that you put in the microwave and you put it on. I mean, it's not, it's, it's kind of ugly, but it's kind of cool. I think I wrote in like a Blade Runner sort of way. I was sort of like, okay, I could see that. You know, um, I have been prescribed that before for my dry eye. And like when you, I've, you would have never heard of it before. You know what I mean? Or there's another category, but like, what do you do if you pick at your skin? People who have the condition dermatillomania, which is where you pick at your skin. Okay. Well, they want to cover their where they have picked their skin or they need to heal it, right? What is the lotion? And it's actually this product called Sarna, you know, it's a, it's not a, a super glamorous lotion, but like it, it's an analgesic. It will soothe the skin. It will not irritate it further. What concealer can you use that doesn't have alcohol that isn't going to irritate you? That doesn't have a ton of fillers. Okay. Guess what? It's this one. Um, you know, the beauty industry has been coming out with a lot of these things called hydrocolloid patches, which are little things that people will put on a zit and it either has medication in it to reduce the zit, or it's just literally a little thin patch that covers the wound and you can put concealer over it. Well, hydrocolloid patches started as a, in, in hospitals as wound healing. And so what has happened though, is they've been become marketed for acne, which they work very well for, but no one is talking about on their packaging, like, oh, it's also for yeah, like scabs from like, if you picked your skin. And so you kind of only find this information like in the bowels of Reddit or like, you're like, oh, someone's being like, well, I pick my skin. Can I use this? Is this like, is this going to inflame it? And so it's like, oh my God. Okay. But like, we need to be talking about this. Like what are, what, what is safe? What is vetted? Like, let's look at the research and also, you know, so that's what the, that's what this is, right? It's a, it's products, everyday products that can, help you get through the day. You know, one of the most interesting things I think I saw from this was a study found that blue light blocking glasses, you know, and it's like, we all know that blue light is emitted from screens and from phones and whatever, and it can mess with your sleep and et cetera. But, but it can also, if you block blue light and you have bipolar disorder, it can, according to a study, significantly reduce manic episodes. It's like, what? Blue light glasses are like, a side effect free way to help with bipolar. It's that kind of like revelation that you find like deep in these studies. And I'm like a, a, a you know, clinical study nerd at heart. Like really, I, I love finding that stuff. And so I wanted it to be as legit as possible. And I also, um, I ran best of beauty awards for Allure for five years. And I also worked at good housekeeping on the, um, seal of approval. So I'm really used to I'm a, an award veteran. Uh, so I know how to do an awards show here. Uh, I mean, I just, to do one that's legitimate, right? And so that was the goal. And I think it, at first it was hard for people to understand what it was. Like literally everyone thought it was going to be a bunch of candles, you know, or sweatshirts or whatever. Like I would tell people to be like, I don't get it. And then I'd be like, 
it's here's what it is. Like there, I think it's a new idea to really think of products as management tools in that way because people either have discounted it or it, you know, things have been written about sort of in a very almost like it's wellness kind of way. And it's like, I don't want to discount that either. Right. Because like, if you find any beauty product or skin cream or fragrance or whatever that you like, and you're using it and it makes you happy, like that's worthy too. It's just for me, I wanted to make sure that these were all literally based in uh, expert advice or, or data. What I love about it is that I think it's such an innovative and novel way of thinking really about how we interact with the products that we use every day or our routines and how it is either a byproduct of the mental illnesses that we face or is, is, you know, part of our routine because of what we experience. And I just think that, you know, it also kind of reminds me a little bit about personalized care and and medicine in a way, um, because you're, you're offering like very targeted solutions or better alternatives for a very specific problem or a very specific pain point that someone with some certain mental illness might be experiencing. It's kind of like if I put my business hat on for a second, like you're walking along the customer journey or like the profile of someone who experiences, you know, OCD or anxiety or depression or whatever it is or bipolar disorder. And some of the more like niche, not as much talked about mental health conditions. So I just, I think it's so clever and I love that you're doing this and you are very well versed in putting on award shows. So I have no doubt that this is going to continue to be such a success. What is next for mental and how do you envision your community to evolve maybe in the next few years? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I have a lot of grand visions. Let's see how it all goes. But, um, you know, one thing, uh, you know, I, I definitely want it to go beyond, you know, a content destination, right? We know that like community support is so important, but it's like, how do we form those communities and how do we make sure they're safe communities? And, you know, there's, there's a thing I, I call a spiral buddy, um, which is I have one for myself when I'm like out, you know, getting the manicure and I get cut at the salon and I think I'm going to get a disease. And frankly, actually, there was just a story in People about a woman who like got a disease from getting a nail cut. So now I'm like, oh my God, Google page one search results are going to show me that I actually, the fear is founded now. But okay, whatever. So I'm like getting the manicure, I get the cut. I got a person who like knows that it's okay for me to text them and say like, making out and then they kind of talk me down, you know, and it's not like, so I'm like, I, there's this concept of having a spiral buddy, I think is, you know, is something, how can we bring that, you know, into a, into a bigger group? Like, can we set people up together? Right. Obviously though, you want to be safe about it and we don't want it to be about, it's not for when people are in a severe situation, right. You need to, you need to call a, a crisis line for that. It's, it's something different. I also, to me, I think of, you know, our, our name is mental, but our site URL is clubmental.com. And what if there were club mentals? What if there were physical club mentals and there were Warhol bananas hanging in the background? I mean, I'm like, would that not change the way people thought of therapy? Because one of the reasons people don't go to therapy is because of stigma still. Like that's still true. Even though like those of us who've like been in therapy are like, we live in New York and everyone seems to be in therapy or everyone's talking about it. And you're like, what do you mean? There's no stigma. There is so much stigma still. And so what if like, you're just walking down the street or like next to like, you know, H&M, there's a club mental. 
and you kind of walk in and there's a banana on the wall and there's a pink chair. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's pink, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a paradigm shift that could happen in the way people even get treated therapeutically. And so that's my grand down the road vision. Let's see. But um, I, I, you know, it's really all of it relates back to like, I think there's got to be a radical shift in, in the way we look at mental health management and treatment. And it's got to go beyond what's been going on because it, it's not like, and, and part of this is our healthcare system. I mean, the main part of this is like our healthcare system disparities, you know, people growing up in, in different communities and not having family support or being from already, you know, marginalized communities and then having mental health on top of it. So please, I don't want to discount any of that, but I do think if we can change the way in which we look at like treating mental health and bringing it into these everyday things, I mean, it, 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 it really can make people be like, oh, all right. It's just part of my day. I walked down the street. I got a blowout at dry bar. And then I went to Club Mental for 30 minutes to talk about like my anxiety. I mean, I see it. And I think that's hopefully where the future is trending. And really, it's like that integration part. How do we bring mental health care more at the forefront of like this community that we're talking about? Hopefully, we'll achieve that because I, I would like to be in a future where that's very much present. So I'm just really inspired by what you're doing and what you're building. and um, the awards that you launched. And I can't wait to continue to keep following along your journey. My final question to you, Amy, is a question that I ask every guest that comes onto the podcast. And it's very integral to really the theme of everyday endorphins, seeking out the simple pleasures in life, those small moments that just bring you joy. So my final question to you is what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day? Well, uh, my kids, you know, I have two kids. They're at funny, not funny, but like amazing ages right now. One's 13 and like has become so sarcastic and it's hilarious to hear the sarcasm. He loves horror movies and we watch horror movies together and we're like watching Annabelle together. And like, I, there's just so much joy in like, now like we can, we're experiencing things. Like we literally watched Child's Play the other day. And it was hilarious. And the other one is like, a builder and he'll like make these marble rip mazes like Rube Goldberg's. And I'm just like watching him do this. And he can also rattle off. Literally, I mean, this he needs to get on Jimmy Kimmel. He this this brings me so much joy. You can give him any country in the world, and he will tell you what the flag looks like. He'll be like, it's blue on the top, then there's a stripe like this, and then down the side there are three stars. It is a party trick. So I like that, like I can't like that brings me joy. I mean, what brings me joy? Candy Crush. I still play Candy Crush. It is like my distraction method at the end of the day. Um uh, like an oat latte, an oat cappuccino from like my local place. I, I don't know. I find, you know, when I was thinking about this too, you know, what's one funny thing when you're a beauty editor and you get sent everything in the world, you know what you start getting excited about? When people send you razors and deodorant because you're like, that is like such a mundane thing, but like, I need that razor. That's I need razors. And so like, I, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I am definitely a person who is like, like I have a weird like childlike like love of like little kitty things, and I mean I also like to to give it one final thing, and this is so anti mental health, but like if you have a TikTok taken off, I mean like that's a hit of endorphins. So we know that's like negative that we should pay attention <laughs> to our social media likes. But I had one video go viral about Gen X, and I was like, but this is bizarre. Like why do <laughs> thousand people care? Lots of things bring endorphins. I mean, I 
can relate to the whole TikTok thing. I guess it's really dopamine, honestly, which can be kind of bad. (laughs) It's not probably an endorphin, right? I know it's totally dopamine. So, But I get it because one of my TikToks semi went viral and it was about this like quote from White Lotus about endorphins. And it's funny because it's about like sex. (laughs) Um, But and of course, people love that because people will love anything that talks about that. But I, I I definitely had a semi-endorphin rush from seeing all the views. It, I, I know. I don't want to admit it because, I mean, like, we know this is, like, a thing we have to step away from. But also, you know who brings endorphins? Jennifer Coolidge. I mean. <laughs> exactly. I was watching Absolutely. White Lotus season two last night. I was just like, this lady's, I, I, I don't, whatever she says, anything can come out of her mouth. I know. She was, she is funny. I mean, now I'm seeing, like, DJs use the White Lotus theme and soundtrack as, like, mixes and mashups with other songs and it's just like I feel like it's becoming this like cultural like icon of a show now oh my god totally I mean well like I TikTok YouTube all these things are bringing back also a lot of songs from like the 80s and 90s like Take On Me Mm -hmm. hello there's like 80 versions of that there's a version of that where Shiba Inu just makes the noises like I mean the way TikTok is dominating the music industry could be an entirely separate podcast episode but there is truth to that statement around seeing things kind of blow up online. Like that is a big endorphin rush. And, um, you know, I just love those like really quirky, unique facts about your kids because I think those are the things that parents just like love and savor about their children. And then like that is truly like such an endorphin thrill. Um, And I love really all of your answers and just such a pleasure to get to have you on the podcast, Amy. Where can my listeners follow along and connect with you? Yeah, no, thank you so much. And um, clubmental.com. And we're on social media. We're on Instagram at club underscore mental. Um, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere else is just club mental. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Endorphins. If you liked what you heard, make sure to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever platform you prefer. You can also follow along the Everyday Endorphins Instagram account to stay up to date with episodes, future events, and all things related to mental health, well-being, and happiness. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things in life that bring you joy every day. Until next time.